You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. With so many stores marking up rare bottles of whiskey far beyond MSRP, it begs the question, is this good capitalism or is it just greed? If you wanna find out, then stick around. So before we get started, I'd love to thank all of our Patreon supporters. We could not be doing this without you. And I, I just, I love to explain that we provide a lot of public services. If you've not watched this channel before, watch through to the end. We have a community, we have a suicide prevention nonprofit that we run. And the reality is there are tens of thousands, if not millions of people that benefit from our efforts, but not all of those have any financial investment. And so for those of you who are dedicated enough to support us on Patreon, not only are you supporting us, but you're supporting all of those people out there that benefit from the content and the effort that we put out into this world, and it wouldn't be possible without you, and we thank you. But we don't want it to just be a donation. We've got member benefits, bonus content, special offers, distillery takeovers, kind of king for the day in a distillery, uh, tasting out of barrels, that type of thing single barrel selections, in-person meetups, monthly virtual bottle shares, discounts on merch. And so whether you are excited about supporting the mission of the channel or you like the benefits, either way, we're happy to have you as a Patreon member and we thank you. And if you're thinking about joining, you can find information in a link in the description below. So let's talk about disclaimers. Uh, so first off, uh, this content does not apply to control states. So we understand that control states have state regulations that determine what they're allowed to mark their bottles up to. Um, and so there aren't price gouge stores in those states. Um, and also understand when I use the term price gouge, I am fully aware that there is a legal term that refers to the illegal markup of essential goods during state emergencies. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the traditional meaning of the word where somebody charges far more than what is intended for the product um, because there is some sort of an imbalance in supply and demand. And so I get it, it can be a legal term. I'm just talking about you know them marking it up. Um, and also, uh, my definition of capitalism, okay, because I am a capitalist, but my definition of capitalism is that uh, the decisions benefit the, the business, but that it's sustainable for the long term. And so a lot of people, to me, that's the difference between capitalism and greed. If there's a business practice that you can engage in that's going to be extremely profitable, but it causes the entire system to collapse as everybody implements it, that's greed. That's not capitalism. Capitalism is sustainable by its definition. I'll argue with anybody about that, and you need to understand that up front because a lot of people who are economists get into these videos and they start commenting on legal definitions, and just you need to understand that to understand where I'm coming from. Now, before we can talk too much about this, you need to 
to understand the plight of the stores that are having to decide whether or not they're gonna mark their stuff up above MSRP or they are going to sell it at MSRP. And the one thing you need to understand is that they cannot fix this problem with supply because they can't order more. The store has to order through the three-tier system. They have to order from a wholesaler and the wholesaler only has so much product that was allotted to them from the producer. And the producer cannot make more of the products because it takes so long to make an 18-year-old bourbon. They'd literally have to have a time machine. You also need to understand that these stores are under tremendous pressure to buy products that they don't have customers for in exchange for the right to buy products that they do have customers for. And so these are called inducements. They are technically illegal, and there'll be a salesperson who has a quota, and they have to get rid of all of this unknown vodka that's sitting in the wholesaler's warehouse. And they go in and they say, hey, if you buy, you know, 20 cases of this unknown vodka, we're gonna let you buy some of these allocated bourbon bottles, okay? And the stores are under a lot of pressure to do that. Um, and you also need to understand that the store can't get enough allocated bottles for them to actually cover their bills with it. Um, a lot of people are like, hey, just you know, sell the bottle to me. You're gonna make your money either way. If a store took all of their allocated bottles that they got for the entire year and they added up the gross margin that they made on those bottles selling the, at MSRP, it wouldn't even be enough to pay a small percentage of the rent for that store for one month. They don't get enough for the allocated bottles themselves to actually make a difference to the store. You also need to understand that there are flippers and some of these bottles can be sold for 10 or 20 times what their MSRP is and the stores do not want to sell to flippers. The money is not all the same to them. If they sell it to a flipper, there is some danger for the store because selling to the wrong customer could hurt the store's other retail relationships. There are no secrets in the whiskey world. And when you've been shopping at a store for a year and spending all the money that you spend on alcohol and other products that they sell at their store in hopes that they're gonna sell you a special bottle when it comes in, and then you see a flipper has bought a bottle Bottle from that store, took a picture of the bottle and the, the receipt showing the store name and showing the store location and posted it for sale on a black market site and you wanted to buy that bottle, you get upset and you stop shopping at that store and you're not the only one. Often when something like that happens, an entire enthusiast community group will all find out at once and they all stop shopping at the store. And so stop telling yourself that it's okay because the store makes the same money either way. The store actually doesn't care that much about the sale of the allocated bottle. The store cares tremendously about using those allocated bottles to foster relationships with people who are going to support the long-term profitable objective of the store. What's the name of one of the best craft whiskeys in the United States? Frey Ranch. What makes Frey Ranch worthy of that high praise? First off, they're one of the nation's only farm-to-glass distilleries. That means they grow everything on site that goes into the whiskey. Before the founders Colby and Ashley Frey even started distilling, they knew they were growing really high-quality grain on the farm and wanted a way to share it with the world. Having a passion for farming and spirits, they thought, what better way to showcase their grains than to make it into whiskey? Virtually every whiskey you've ever heard of, they can't say that. They even malt their own barley on site. If you know anything about malted barley, a key grain in nearly every whiskey recipe, you know that almost no distillery can make that claim. You might be thinking, but I've tried craft whiskey and I don't like it. Most craft distilleries make whiskey out of pot still. This means the more efficient they try to get in their process, the more the grain solids get burned in the pot, 
which makes the whiskey taste like over-roasted coffee beans. Plus, pot stills leave in more flavor compounds and oils than traditional column still whiskey. All the whiskey you love from Kentucky is made on a column still where the grain solids never come in contact with the heat source. Frey Ranch had one of the world's first Vendome systems built that does the first distillation run on a column still, but does the finishing run on a pot still. This gives them the control of a pot still without the overwhelming flavors. This is why Frey Ranch is bolder than most, but with none of the off-putting flavors you might have experienced in the past with other craft whiskeys. They have no whiskey less than four years old, with most of the products at five plus years. That is a lot of age for the wild temperature swings that you see in Nevada versus the mild change that they have in Kentucky. If you want to experience well-made, bold craft whiskey with a legacy as American as apple pie, go to the description and click the link. Please use the link so they know that we sent you. When you click the link, you're going to see that they're available to ship in 30 plus states. They're also available in stores and bars near you in Nevada, California, Arizona, Ohio, and Georgia. And the best of all, they're coming to stores in Texas very soon. Cheers. Now that we understand the plight of the store, let's talk about some of the issues. So first off, there is either a three or a four tier system in each state. And the three tier is where the producer sells to the wholesaler and the wholesaler sells to the retailer and to bars and restaurants. And a four tier, the producer sells to the wholesaler, the wholesaler sells to a retailer, and the retailer sells to bars and restaurants and consumers. So that's the difference between a three and a four tier state. And you also need to understand that when a store marks up a bottle price, the other members of that three or four tier system do not benefit from that price hike. And so we have to start asking ourselves, if there is a large number of the whiskey buying populace that is willing to pay more money than MSRP for a bottle, why didn't the producer mark it up and increase their profit? There's plenty of demand. There's all the evidence in the world that people are willing to pay more money. And the reason why is simply because the producer is looking at their long-term objectives. And most producers, remember I said, they can't just make more because it takes so much time. Most producers over the last 10 years have raised hundreds of millions, and in some cases over a billion dollars, to expand capacity to account for this new demand that's in the marketplace. And do you know what happens if the producers bump the price all the way up to the, the equilibrium price for supply and demand, and then a few years down the road, they flood the market with inventory? I'll tell you what happens. They all go out of business. And so they don't want to raise the price to equilibrium. They need demand levels to remain where they're at to account for the production that's coming online from all of the expansion projects that's going on out there, right? And that's why the producer decides not to raise the price. If the producer raised the price, the producer would make more money, the wholesaler would make more money, the retailer would make more money. But as it stands right now, those three entities are carving up a slice of pie that's represented by the sales price of a bottle of whiskey. And just so you understand, typically the wholesale or the producer makes about 35 margin points, the wholesaler makes about 30 typically, and the retailer makes about 30 typically. So you can do the math and figure out how the pie gets broken up. When a retailer decides that they're going to mark the price up far beyond MSRP, and in some cases 10 or 20 times the amount of MSRP, 
the retailer ends up taking the overwhelming majority of that pie and leaves the producer and the wholesaler with the small slices that they were originally planning on making whenever they sold that product. And the wholesaler and the producer are barred by law from retaliating against that store for having done so. And that law that's on the books was designed to protect small stores from influence from much larger businesses in the wholesale and the producer tier. But right now, these price gouge stores are hiding behind a law that's supposed to protect them from downward pricing pressure so that they can put upward pricing pressure and take the money that actually doesn't belong to just them and keep it for themselves. And if anybody complains, they go, hey, you're not allowed to influence our prices. No, 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 that's not what the law was for. The law was to protect them from downward. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Pricing pressure. And so now that you understand some of these things, um, you know, the store can claim that they have to price gouge to make up the lost profits from the, the products that they were kind of pressured into buying and all that stuff. And so kind of the way that the story goes is the store says, well, the reason why I have to mark this product up so much is because they made me buy 20 cases of vodka that nobody wanted to buy. And I had to discount that vodka down to basically break even just so that I could get rid of it. And so now the money that I was going to make on that allocated bottle, I have to make that plus I have to make the profit that I was going to make on the other bottles that I had to liquidate. And I hate that argument uh, because it is very convincing and a lot of people hear that and they go, oh, I feel bad for you store. But just understand the stores don't have to agree to these inducement offers. They're choosing to engage in this. And so what they're actually saying is that they wanted to do a bunch of work, participate in an illegal business practice to come to the same level of profit that they would have if they had just said no. And what would be their motivation for doing it? So that they get these allocated bottles and piss off their customers by marking it up far beyond what it's supposed to be sold for? For what? Just so that the other store that actually has profitable business practices don't get a chance to sell that bottle? It doesn't make any sense. They could make the exact same money without taking on the, the, the bottles they don't have customers for to get bottles that they do have customers for that they're only going to mark up. They could have avoided the whole thing and made the same amount of money. So if they're going to do the work to get those allocated bottles, there are other ways that they could monetize those efforts. Um, and the best, best practice, in my opinion, is not price gouging. So one of the ways or some of the ways that stores will monetize these allocated bottles is through raffles. OK, and in those instances, you get raffle tickets based on how much money you spend at the store or if you buy special items from the store like their single barrel selection. Sometimes they'll give you extra raffle tickets, things like that. They can do bundles where 
they're making you one of their best customers because when they sell you that allocated bottle, they are also selling you some non-allocated bottles that maybe aren't moving so well, right? Um, and so you have to buy a package of bottles. And then there's point systems. And in the point systems, they keep track of how much money you spend at the store and you can build up points and redeem those points to get access to certain levels of allocated bottles. And there's a, a combinations of those things. Some stores do multiple things, but there are other ways where a store can honestly make sure that they're not selling their bottles to flippers. They're selling their bottles to their best customers and it is still profitable for the store. So all of those methods work to increase profitability, but in my opinion, the most profitable thing that a store can do with their bottles is to use those bottles to build relationships with their regular customers. What does that look like? Well, you actually have to have somebody who is in the store an awful lot of the time. That person has got the authority to make decisions about who's gonna buy their allocated bottles that they keep in the back. And they watch the customer behavior and how the customers interact with them and their staff and all that stuff. And they decide that they're gonna sell the bottles to the people that mean the most to the store. And that creates loyalty, it creates an honest, legitimate business relationship, and you can reward that with these allocated bottles. And that is what I recommend stores to do with their allocated products. So, in conclusion, is it greed for the store to mark the products up? Well, it depends. In my opinion, if the store is aware of the damaging effect that their pricing is having on the company who actually produces the product, meaning they know that Buffalo Trace could have marked this, you know, E.H. Taylor um, barrel proof, single barrel up to whatever, maybe say it's 450 bucks but it's actually on the shelves for $79, right? So they know that they could have marked it up, but they decided not to. And the store marks it up to 450 bucks and sells it. And they keep all of the money that they would have made at 79 plus all the money between 79 and 450 bucks. And they know that that consumer who buys that product now has the expectation that this is a $450 bottle. So that six years from now, when this product starts to become more readily available because Buffalo Trace just spent $1.3 billion increasing their capacity, and this is about a six to eight year product, so soon there's gonna be more of this available. And the store knows, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and take these profits right now, and I know that it's gonna do damage to this other company's brand, but I don't care because I'm gonna take this personal short-term gain even though I know that it's not sustainable and if everybody did it, it would cause the whole system to collapse. That is greed, in my opinion. That is for sure greed. Um, and the other thing that I like to point out in this is that let's say that you met a person and that person is willing to sell themselves to the highest bidder, despite the negative impact that it has on society as a whole. What would you call that person? You call that person a prostitute. And in my opinion, these price gouge stores who are too lazy to do the work to actually get into a real business relationship with their customers and figure out who are the people that support their long-term objectives and reward that behavior with access to these bottles at a reasonable price. And instead, just say, hey, 
who's willing to give me the most money? I'll sell this bottle to you, even though it's upsetting to my regular customers that I'm doing this. That is a form of business prostitution and I do not support it. And so in conclusion, is price gouging capitalism or greed? It's greed, period, point blank. There are other options that that store could pick and they're choosing not to. And if you were to listen to me, you would not spend any money at all on anything at any store who marks their bottles up that much above MSRP. Because if everybody started doing it, we would start losing bourbon brands left and right when this capacity comes online. So if this is your first time watching the show, I'd love to tell you a little bit about our philosophy. We are all about bringing people together around bourbon. And that's something that's super important to me because I did lose my loved one to suicide in 2014. Um, and, and, that made me realize that my brother, Sean, was feeling disconnected from his social network that normally shows support. And I wanted to find a way to build connections between individuals. And I started noticing how bourbon had a tendency to bring people together, even people who had different ideological views who would normally not engage with each other in life because they think that they disagree. And I found that you give somebody whiskey, and you sit down, you talk about what really matters, life, goals, things like that. We have a lot in common. And I thought, maybe I could get you connected to whiskey. And whiskey's going to do the rest and get you connected to others so you don't feel alone the way that my brother did. Uh, but along that journey and looking for community and connection, I did look into the whiskey enthusiast world, and I discovered kind of the underbelly, and that's the whiskey trolls. And those are individuals that show a lot of hate online, typically with the purpose of making themselves feel important at the expense of others. And that encouraged us to start Bourbon Real Talk Community, which is a troll-free whiskey environment where people can interact. And it's happening. It's happening, people. I mean, if you get into Bourbon Real Talk Community, you're going to find that individuals are connecting with one another. They're making online and in-person friendships. There's a lot of generosity in there, a lot of sharing, and people sharing their lives together the way that you would expect in a true community. Um, but I also learned from those trolls that if they can be hateful online, I can show love online. And that's why I end every podcast the same way. And that's this. If you woke up this morning and you were unsure whether or not anyone loved you, just know that I love you. And I'll see you next time on Bourbon Real Talk. We're about to eat that torchy, son. What? Pretty excited. And I'm drinking a little bit of this uh, Knob Creek 18. You know why? Because I can. And I normally don't. And I'm here serving you people today. And I figure if I'm going to be here and I'm going to serve you, I should have a nice pour while I do it. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, so try not to judge so hard. Don't try to... What, what's the what's the saying? Don't harsh my gig so hardcore, Cruster. Yeah, it's Polly Shore from Encino Man when he's talking to his best friend's parents where he's eating dinner at their house again. And he's like, well, it'd be nice if you ate at your house sometime. And he was like, he's like, well, if I had the whole Brady Bunch thing going on over at my house, I would eat there. So don't harsh on my gig so hardcore, Cruster. Uh, by the way, we met Polly Shore a couple years ago and it was literally the creepiest celebrity experience that I have ever personally witnessed. It was crazy. He grabbed Lindsay in such a way that if I had been in the room, 
I probably would have challenged him to mutually agree combat. <laughs> he was clearly on something. It was it was crazy. Ah, I knew I was a bigger Bourbon Real Talk fan than you. How do you know that? Well, because I don't just use a prideful goat, Glenn. I got a official Bourbon Real Talk tumbler. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, I got this Bourbon Real Talk lanyard to carry my whiskey glass in. Oh, well, speaking of whiskey glasses, do you have one of these? No, I don't. Rocks glass. Oh, yeah? Yep, official. Well, I love my wife, and I bought her this official whiskey wife flask from Bourbon Real Talk. Well, that's cute and everything, but I got my wife one of these. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And well, you can just add your own liquor, and it's an actual cocktail right there in a, in a jar. Me and my wife like to make cocktails, so we got this simple syrup off oh, the website. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Well, do you and your wife have one of these? This is an official sticker. You can only get these on the website. Uh, no, but I do have these official coasters that have the Bourbon Real Talk logo on them, and I'm representing. Hmm. Well, while you're representing those little coasters of yours, I've got an aroma kit. Do you? Yeah, so I can smell literally everything in bourbon. Everything. Well, I don't have that, but I do have this sample box that I keep all my samples in because I'm part of the community and I share samples. Yeah, but do you have Glen Toppers that are officially Bourbon Real Talk? I don't have that, but I do have this large whiskey carrying case for my glasses so that I don't break them. See, I knew you had that. That's why I have this, the smaller version, okay? It packs more easily into your suitcase. Uh -huh. I don't have to mess with that big old thing, okay? Suitcase, that's for lamos. Check this thing out. I have a bourbon real taut bottle carrying bag. You can't beat that. I don't know if I can because- And on top of that, I have a bourbon real talk t-shirt. I'm the bigger fan. Oh, I can beat that. Is it extra schmedium? No, I don't have an extra schmedium. Ha! Extra schmedium. You might be the bigger fan, you win. I knew it. So whether you're a Bourbon Real Talk super fan or simply looking for quality whiskey swag, head over to bourbonrealtalk.com today.